Welcome back to the podcast, Half-Blood Demigods. I still didn't figure out the intro. This is Camp Half-Pod, the show where we review every episode of the Disney Plus series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. My name is Tyler. I'm Condra. And we are here to talk about episode six of this series, which is entitled, We Ride a Zebra to Las Vegas? What? We Take a Zebra to Vegas. Wow. <laughs> take, ride, same thing. So yeah, this is episode six out of eight, and we are we are closing in on the, on the end of the series. We're in Las Vegas. This was another short episode, too. This was only a half hour, which makes me nervous for the end of the show, because we got a lot of ground to cover in two episodes. Yeah, I... I, I went through and looked at the run times of the previous episodes. It seemed like episodes two and three were 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And all of the other ones have been on the like 33 minute mark. Yeah. Which it I just, think is totally fine. Yeah. It just makes me nervous for the end of the I'm, show. I don't want it to get I'm not, rushed. I'm not super nervous about um, episodes seven and eight because like they could be 48 minutes. And if each of them is long, that's fine. Yeah, that's true. But. I just want it to be. We're doing so well so far. <laughs> I don't th- yeah, want you gotta, them to win. You got to pull off the ending. And we can talk about the uh, next time on staying at the end because that felt like a lot was happening. Yeah. So we'll get there. So uh, before we, before we even talk about the episode, did you see the did you see like the banner ad on the Disney Plus homepage for this episode? Didn't it have Lynn. It was just Lin-Manuel Miranda like leaning over the the craps table. I was like, this doesn't convey anything about what's happening in the show. Yeah. It's just a picture of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, just in a hoodie too. Like, he is so <laughs> ungodly here. <laughs> ungodly, not in the usual meaning of the word. Like, what is that ungodly oh, smell? Yeah, I didn't even think of that. So the episode opens with Percy in a dream, hearing the voice of the spooky headmaster talking to. Note it's the captions say headmaster. It does not say a name like Annabeth will give in a minute. Is it? And I didn't go back and look. Is it like played by the same actor as like the headmaster from the first episode? And it's just like using mental connections to people in Percy's life in a similar way to how the Oracle was Gabe, I suppose. Yeah. But not quite that. Yeah. So it does say he's in two episodes of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. So potentially, yes. I didn't actually go back to the first episode to see that, but IMDb lists two episodes so whatever godly entity is speaking to percy found a body sort of to inhabit or percy's brain in the absence of the ability to comprehend what he was seeing sort of substituted an authority figure that he felt was equivalent which i like for who this is like knowing Endgame and knowing who this actually is, I like Wait, it, that. It's, it's Thanos? It's Thanos. Surprise, everyone. Oh, this yeah. is an MCU crossover we've never expected. <laughs> you said it was Endgame, so. Yeah, I hate <laughs> that the MCU ruined that phrase. I never liked the fact that it was called Endgame anyway. Maybe it's Cull Obsidian. What? That's one of um, Thanos' children. Oh. Cull Obsidian. Cool. I at, at a certain point, I was able to remember all four of his children's names. One of them is Ebony Ma. That one <laughs> does sound familiar because that one's been in. That one's like the primary talker one, the one that's got the metal powers. Yeah, and then one of them's like Clave something. Tyler, I really don't care. <laughs> and we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> So um, the the headmaster is speaking not to Percy, but to the lightning thief. Yes. Sitting in a Roll chair credits. that Percy cannot see. Yeah, you, you love that convenient dream 
geography. Blinder. Yeah. It's just around the corner and I cannot find it. Just around the river bend? Just around the river bend. <laughs> the the headmaster's basically saying, like, you know, you think you're all that because you stole the, the master bolt, but I gave you everything you needed and you can be replaced very easily. And then he sort of turns over to Percy and goes, isn't that right, little hero? Why don't you go prove yourself? Yeah. I mean, when he when he turns to talk to Percy, like what he says doesn't really matter. No, it's, it's like, more the stuff crap. that was before. <laughs> well, yeah. And then it's like, holy crap, he can see him. This is the first time we've like that Percy's had this kind of dream where like it's not so surreal, like the on the beach kind of thing. And it yeah, feels very it's not grounded. like a floating robed hooded figure. It's a person sitting at a desk. I suppose the closest comparison in um, other fiction would be from Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, where we have sort of a seer character in Bran who can sort of go into a trance dreamlike state and exist in other places in time and space where uh, sort of the evil entity in the, the darkness, the Night King, is able to sort of turn and see him. And then once he touches Bran in the dream, he's able to like break through the magic spell and find him. So the the idea of, you know, dream world c- crossing over with the real world and trying to find what is real and what is not real. Yeah, that's also a, per- um, a Percy Jackson thing. No, a Harry Potter thing, too, um, during year six when Harry needs to learn Occupy. Occlumency, uh, because Voldemort can like see inside Harry's mind and stuff. But it's more like he doesn't know what's happening if what's happening in his visions are true or not. That's true. Yeah, I think that's five. Oh yeah, it is five. Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, because they go serious. to rescue. Yeah, and 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 Mister Weasley as well. Oh yeah, but, but that's that not true. like. Yeah, that's like magic is affecting the dreams, but it's not like the dreams are affecting reality. Like there's a sudden line where the dream becomes reality in a confusing way. Okay, okay, that's but, okay. But I'm not. It was a good comparison. I don't know. I I was th- trying to think. I was like, Star Wars doesn't really for the weird thing that Ray and Kylo have. Oh, but no. But then the like when the rain and they can pass things through yeah. the dream world, like that kind of happens. But that's not, they're not dreaming. But yeah. They're just in like it's trances. The force. Yeah. <laughs> so Percy wakes up from his dream and they're in the back of this 18 wheeler truck illegally transporting animals. Yeah. And Grover has just opened the uh, overhead windows or vents. And he, he pokes his little head outside. It's a good, so it's cute. a cute shot. <laughs> Once again, Grover's great. We drive by a sign for the Cracker Barrel, so that's fun. Oh, we did? I missed it. <laughs> love me. Some, a, I used to love Cracker Barrel. A big billboard. And then we get this um, this Iris Rainbow dream communication. Not dream. No, it's um, not dream. It's holographic. Well, rainbow. <laughs> yeah, it's a FaceTime. It's a FaceTime, but through a rainbow, because it's an iris message. That's what they're officially called, is iris messages. And this is something I, I remember pretty distinctly from the book, and it's it's pretty cool, like, like it doesn't feel like something that's, like, from the Iliad or the Odyssey, where it's like, oh, yeah, you throw a coin into a rainbow, and then you can send a message. Like, feels like it's something Rick Riordan came up with as a little bit of in in-universe magic. Yeah, and I I think the effect they did is really strong. Like it's got that rainbow. I was always like, I always wondered what it would actually look like, and like I think this is a cool representation of it. I like it. Well, like because rainbows can pop up anywhere. It's like sometimes they do it in like a fountain that has like yeah the um, mist water. coming off of it. Yeah, but in this case, they just have a prism, and if you manipulate the light with the prism, you can make your own rainbow, which is pretty fun. Didn't explain where they got the prism. I assumed it was in the bag that Hades gave, not Hades, Ares gave yeah. them. Yeah, or, uh, or, or they'd stashed just, it in their yeah, pocket the Annabeth whole time. Car- yeah, carries it around knowing it's 
the only safe way to com- that demigods can communicate. We get another um, instance of seaweed brain as Annabeth yep. implores Percy to toss the coin into the rainbow. Then they make their little offering and ask to speak to Camp Half-Blood, Chiron's office. And who is there but Luke? Luke. Because Luke is... Because Luke says Chiron is using all of his hands to tamp down camp. Or camp is about he's to using, go to war. He's holding together camp with both hands. That's what it was. <laughs> Because they're about to go to war and people are taking sides, which feels weird. You know, Iris might say that she's looked at clouds from both sides now. Wow. There's a, it's a callback to that one time that I talked about that song on this podcast, but not on um, Percy Jackson. It was on High School Musical. So. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they talked to Luke. Luke gives them like a little rundown of what's happening with Camp Half-Blood. And then they give him a rundown of what's been happening on their quest. And Luke calls them an old married couple, which feels preemptive. I think it was a good it was a good way of calling out the like, oh, you guys have bonded and are clearly getting along. But in terms of like the foreshadowing of like any sort of romantic relationship between the characters, it was like, well, uh, two books. Let's not get there yet. Yeah. (laughs) but i think it's still a fun way to tease people especially when you are 12 and you're like not sure how to feel about like being called couple like or old yeah but more importantly they they say to luke like oh like we got out of aries some information and we know who stole the master bolt and he's like really how do you find out (laughs) yeah and it was like, well, it could only be one person because he was talking so highly of them. So naturally, it must be his his favorite child, Clarice. And then Luke says, ah, so Clarice is the lightning thief in like a very definitive way. Yeah. Just to sink it in our brains. Yeah. Very subtle. I will give it like that. Like there wasn't a lot of like telegraphing of what was supposed to be reacted to. Yeah. In no, this scene. I think. Yeah, no, I think the scene is played well. And it helps that the actor who's playing Luke is like playing from beyond the veil of a rainbow. Yeah. Like, so he doesn't have to try super hard. Like he doesn't have to play to the back are, row. Yeah. His face is already kind of obscured. So if he if he has actual feelings, we can't tell. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Percy tells Luke to get Chiron to arrest Clarice, which I thought was funny. Yeah, Percy still doesn't get it. It's fine. <laughs> but the conversation ends abruptly when Percy goes to ask Luke about his dad, Hermes. Yeah, and Annabeth like, We're about cuts to go off see. the conversation. And, yeah. <laughs> it's a bounty hunter called. That's an Attack of the Clones reference. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that no Sam one's gonna... Wessel. Yeah. <laughs> See, I know Star Wars characters and Marvel characters. Wow, you're a nerd on many fronts. Um the 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 other the other Thanos child was Corvus Glaive. It's just it just rang it just rang back into my brain. Cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We get this little bit of um, fun with Grover being like, oh, the animals in this truck are so smart. They have a plan. All they needed was thumbs. And guess what we have? (laughs) What has two thumbs and is about to (laughs) cause a prison break? This satyr. (laughs) But Annabeth's like, we can help make like we can help get them out of here as long as it doesn't jeopardize the quest. And Grover's like, no, we don't have to. They've got the plan. We just need to open the cages and they're good from there. (laughs) Which doesn't make a ton of sense. And my first complaint of the episode is here. Because I really liked the scene of them getting stuck in the 18-wheeler in the book. I thought it was really cute. Because Percy and Grover communicate with the animals and like all three of them are like sweeping up the the pens and like switching the meat 
like the food between the different animals because the the traffickers didn't care and like gave the zebra the meat and the lion like the lettuce and stuff so like they were switching stuff and grover was like grover was talking the lion down from eating them and uh, Percy discovered that he his one of his other godly powers is talking to horses, and zebras are close enough to horses that Percy <laughs> could talk to it. And Where's the cutoff, though? I thought that cutoff? was hilarious. <laughs> um, well, it it's would... a slippery slope, Condry. We get talking to zebras. What's next? Talking to okapis? Talking no, to giraffes? Those... No, okapis are related to giraffes. They're not related to horses. <laughs> Talking to elk? No. Talking to pigs? Hooved animals? No, it's horses. I know, I know. Okay, um, I agree that that probably works in the book, but I missed it's that like, little moment there. Instead, we just get another dream. I mean, in the show, I wouldn't necessarily complain. Like, if they added seven minutes of time to the episode and wanted to include more stuff like that, like. Stuff that fleshes it out and makes each episode feel slightly less one note mm-hmm. would be nice. Because that was my issue with this episode is was that it felt singular. Yeah, and that's what some of the best TV shows feels like. Well, you sometimes you have an A plot and a B plot, and between those you can go places. Or like, uh, you know, old Star Trek Next Generation episodes, you'd have like a pre-credit sequence where like you'd have some fun and like check in with the characters doing an activity and then you'd be like, Oh, I'm seeing a little bit into the world of these characters. And I have like this combination of people doing this specific activity. I think what I like about the truck scene though, that we kind of miss here is that Percy and Annabeth are supportive of Grover's interests in a way that it's not just Grover being supportive of his friends questing and he's their protector. But they're like, oh, no, this is important. And they show that they are kids with concerns for bigger pictures that aren't godly. Yeah, they do the right thing always. Yeah. But instead, we just get sort of a a cut to after they've already broken out of the truck and all the animals are loose. And Percy says, I think this might be dangerous. And Grover's like, not for the animals. They're good. I gave them a satyr blessing, which I love that they did include that. Also, this is where we see the zebra, but we see it all the way in the background and it runs out of shot. And I'm like, you title the episode after this one. Like, the title of this episode is Zebra, and there is barely a zebra in the episode. I think... Especially in streaming, like, episode titles really don't matter. I don't know if episode titles have ever mattered. It's just, like, like one Friends. opportunity to do a little joke. Yeah. And Friends is, Friends is like, already, like, the post-ironic take on doing episode titles. It's, like, it's already self-aware. And that's in 1994. Like, they're already saying, like, the episode title doesn't really matter. But, like, people do know those episode titles. And, like, you know Star Trek titles. I guess they used to post the titles in, like, TV guides and in, stuff, In, like, TV too. guides, yeah. I think Star Trek titles are interesting because, like, an episode of Star Trek is like a little movie where it's like, oh, remember when that specific plot line happened? Whereas, like, if you're describing an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you just say, oh, it was the musical episode. If you know that it's called Once More with Feeling, then great. But if you know the episode where Buffy's mom dies is called something, then great. But... Usually you just say what happens. Yeah. It was funny when I was looking up the headmaster to see what else he'd been in. And he's been in a lot. Uh, He has 209 credits. He was in one episode of Supernatural and his he was the game show host. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what episode that is. (laughs) (laughs) So. Percy clarifies, no, I'm worried about if the humans might be in danger from the animals. And Grover goes, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. (laughs) Don't care. Doesn't matter. (laughs) But the animals will get safely to where they're going. And Percy goes, where do you think the Lotus Casino is? And Annabeth goes, 
Maybe you think that building with the big lotus flower on it? <laughs> and he's like, literally two seconds ahead of me this time. And she did a big smirk. Great. Yeah, we get some fun um, moments of joy from Annabeth and Percy in this whole episode. Yeah. So they make it to the lobby of the Lotus Casino. And, oh, very important. We oh, get our, our song. a musical cue. Yeah, we get our, our big casino song, which no return of poker face. Big bummer there. But we get a song which is perhaps the more modern? overplayed and meme of a song than Poker Face was for its time. This is Levitating, Levitating by Dua Lipa. Yeah. I, so... My coworkers know this. Uh, the first time, like right after I saw Barbie, I went to them and I was like, because it was pl- like so a teen was singing Levitating or something. And I was like, isn't that the Barbie song? And they're like, no, Condra, all Dua Lipa songs just sound like that. And I'm like, <laughs> but there's the clap. And they're like, no. She just does that. I'm like, that's confusing. <laughs> I don't like this, and I feel old. The thing with the Dua Lipa song is that it has like three like hook parts. Yeah, because it has the it has like the verse, which is like, and then it has the "You want me? I want you, baby." And then it has the "I need you." Like it has three different parts that are like iconic and like are TikTok sounds in their own way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which is how most people have interacted with that song is by hearing it in TikToks. Yeah. But it's just, it's, I was, when that song came out, I was like, yeah, that is the modern poker face. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, with the original movie and poker face, it was like, okay, I get it. There's like a little pun going on. It's about poker, but it's not about poker, obviously. Yeah, yeah. This song isn't necessarily about gambling or thematically about losing one's memory at a casino. But I don't know. I haven't listened to the lyrics that closely. Yeah. Also, like, it matches the vibe of the Lotus Hotel where it's kind of carefree and... There's like a looping nature where it's like you could listen to that song song forever forever and you not realize you like you've been listening to it forever because clearly I thought it was the same song. (laughs) But later in the in the scene while they're in the casino, um, the the closed captions inform us that a flock of seagulls Iran is playing in the background. I know and I caught that too, but I think that's a great like subtle hint because we didn't couldn't get away. Well, that and we didn't have Percy interacting with any out of time teens. Honestly, I was very confused. And I think this is just me in my reads of the Lotus Casino. I was very confused that there were adults in the casino. (laughs) I was like, there's too many old people here. Like, okay, so we're in the casino. I guess we'll talk about it. There's a lot going on that's very different from the book. Yes. And I think starting off, it's just sort of like the logic of what's going on. Like the moment that the the trio gets into the casino, they're like, oh, it's like the Lotus Eaters from the Odyssey. And we get a fun we get a fun shout out from Percy's like, yeah, my mom told it to me. Well, we we read the graphic novel. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, because it still counts. It's still reading. It's still the book. (laughs) And I was like, oh, are they going to name drop Gareth Hines? Because Gareth Hines does an amazing version of the Odyssey graphic. Yeah. And the Iliad. um, But I think Mm -hmm. the Odyssey adaptation is probably a little bit more iconic. Yeah. Thank you for remembering the name of that author and illustrator, because I did not. Of course I do. Of course I do, Tyler. (laughs) But I job. one hopes that that was um, Rick Riordan's like like line to put in there, like let's shout out the graphic novel that also got people interested in yeah in reading about these stories. Like that's very sweet. Yeah, and also Percy Jackson has been adapted into graphic novels too, so there's probably some self promo there as well. Okay, but we're talking about the logic of the lotus. Like they yes. know going in not to eat the lotus flowers, which I don't know if they knew in the original book. No, no, that. 
I was like, ooh, this like is a little stuff. heavy-handed. Yeah, it was like a little heavy-handed, and I was like, mm, don't love this. So, okay, so in the book, they, like, get these, like, mini credit cards. Yeah, they get a and they're room. Like, they get to shower and change clothes. Okay. Because they've been smelly on a truck. And they get to eat. They, they get to eat. They discover a, what a mini fridge is in a hotel room. And all of that is like a little too good to be true in the book. And yeah. it makes sense why they're like indulging a little bit because they've been on a, a hard journey. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like a bunch of kids showing up and walking around a casino in the book, like they logic it out a little bit. Like it makes sense. And you implied that it's like half arcade. Yeah. They're, they never really talk about, like, gambling at all in it. Like, it's fancy like a... It, I guess they maybe overemphasize the hotel part of it versus the... Because it's Lotus Hotel and Casino. But okay. also, like, there's the arcade... There's a lot of, like, arcade stuff and... Like other experience, like Annabeth gets trapped in a video game where she's an art, like it's an architecture video game where she's building like skyscrapers and stuff. So, and uh, Grover does a, a, a dance number with some some hot ladies. Oh, wait, no, that's no, the movie. That's Sorry, the movie. I forgot. No, he, he gets does his, get he, he gets, gets his hooves painted. <laughs> yeah, no, he does get trapped in a video game that he thinks he's searching for Pan, though. So that is okay. So that that stayed from the book. Yeah, but none of this. Augustus, the biggest <laughs> Hermes. Okay, so we get this little side. I mean, there's two sort of side plots here with characters that they're built around. But I I, I wanted to talk about um. To to paraphrase Mike Birbiglia, the lotus in the air. Yes. Which feels stupid. It's like it's like magic blood. It's like, what are, what are we doing? <laughs> but I do think that was kind of how like they never quite figured out how they lost track of time. But I think as like a oh, we've got this precaution. We're not going to eat anything. And then it's like jokes on you. It's in the air. Like it's just stupid. Like, I mean, yeah. But I don't know, like, if they have to explain it, which is annoying that they did. Like, I'm more annoyed that they explained it, I think. I still am enjoy. So the thing is, like, this part of the book is so iconic, and I really like this part of the book. And I did enjoy the episode, like, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like Howl's Moving Castle, where I'm going to have to, at some point, just break this in my brain from the book, because it's kind of veered. Like, the core is there, but it's all the fun details aren't. I mean, I think some of it's just the difference in enjoying a book and a movie. And if, you, if you're making a comparison to Howl's Moving Castle, it's like, okay, the, like, only the bare minimum of the conceit is kept from that book to movie. Yeah. The character names, but very little else. And this is like, we're doing the same thing. It's just it's just a little spruced up. It's a it's a little more modernized, not only in the setting, but also in the themes. Like we said, the original, they're like, well, we meet Medusa and she's an evil, crazy lady. And in this one, it's like, well, we meet Medusa and we understand contextually where she exists within mythology. <laughs> yeah. OK. It's a little bit more grown up in other instances. In this yeah. instance, I think it's stupider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just... I, I think the lotus in the air is pretty unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not great. I think making the comparisons from book to movie, like if you just separate them completely, then you're not opening up yourself to be like, okay, now why did they make this change? What does it add to the story? But I don't or what do we lose from the why? story? <laughs> <laughs> and I liked that this was an unexplained magic because when this later becomes a like the lotus comes up again as a plot point in the later in the series, the magic is still unexplained. So these characters who have lost actual decades, it's not it's like traumatizing, but it's not like, oh, well, it's because the air was pumped with lotus flower. Like, like in the book, they just eat like they eat lotus flowers 
and we and we readers know that they were eating stuff. They're just eating normal food. Like we don't necessarily know it's them eating or if it's an additional magical aura or what. Like cuz it could be like Calypso's Island where it's this aura presence that's like trying to contain them in. Like there's a lot there's a lot I more I think in forces. the book it's pretty clear that they eat the stuff and they like it's through the eating of the stuff. It's like a one-to-one comparison okay. from right. the original story. I don't think there's a magical aura around the hotel other than the sort of the siren call of enticing people to come. And just like Percy had a really hard time of breaking the spell. Quote unquote from especially Grover. Although Annabeth too, he like physically has to drag her out of the machine. Almost in a, almost in a pan's labyrinth esque way. Like it makes perfect sense for, a group of kids to be sucked into this world of like plenty and having access to something that is right there for them to eat and indulging in that. Yeah. Um, perhaps what you, perhaps the better way to have done it is like, like Pan's Labyrinth to have been given a warning, like go in there, but don't eat anything. And then they just simply can't resist. And it's sort of Mm -hmm. that human flaw of like, I, the one thing I was told not to do, I just simply couldn't have the willpower to prevent myself to do it. And we as the audience go, no, that's the one thing you were told not to do. But you also understand because that's like, that's what makes human stories interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could totally get behind something like that. Like if they it's had like gone- Orpheus and Eurydice, it's like yeah. stupid idiot turned around. Oh! Like, yeah. No, yeah. That's, the, that's the point. Like he I... did. And that's why it's sad. Yeah. Speaking of um, Orpheus and Eurydice, we'll get to Hermes and leading people to the underworld later. Yeah. So in so when they enter the hotel, they're like, we're not going to eat anything. Cool. Grover, they were, Grover's initially like, we'll split up. And Percy's like, uh, problem. I don't know what Hermes looks like. So I can't be by myself. <laughs> Percy also says, I thought we don't do that anymore, because I believe it's Annabeth who suggests they split up. Oh, yeah. Um, but but yes, you're right. Grover goes in one way, and Annabeth and Percy go the other way, and they set out looking for Hermes. Grover ends up finding an older satyr man named Augustus, whom he recognizes and follows. He, and he talks, was a uh, hero of Ferdinand. His uncle Ferdinand, yeah. Augustus sort of inspired him to go on a quest to find Pan, and by extension, also, Grover was inspired. Mm -hmm. But you can tell that something's a little off about this guy. He doesn't recognize Grover, and then when he's like, oh, I was so close to finding him, you have to see for yourself, which is kind of heartbreak. Like, that's the heartbreak of the satyr's pursuit of Pan throughout the entire series, is like, they... They they're not going to succeed, like, and their their gusto is so admirable, but it's just, it's imperfect. Well, it's 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 the un unbeatable quest. It's the holy grail in that sense. But yeah, yeah, we meet this Augustus Sater, who's played by uh, an actor named Ted Dixtra. I don't know if you looked him up. Do you know what his his most prominent credit is Daniel Tiger <laughs> yeah he plays dad Tiger in 90 episodes of Daniel Tiger's neighborhood cute and also I don't know if you thought but the he expanse? looks a lot like Mark Hamill I did think that yeah yeah I did in the, in the Seder get up so yeah you're like yeah. I don't think that's Mark Hamill but it looks like it yeah sometimes Mark Hamill's hard to parse yeah sometimes He's in good makeup, and you can't tell it's Mark Hamill. On the other side of things, we get some Luke lore dumps from Annabeth to Percy. Yep. She basically explains, like, oh, I was there when Hermes came, and, like, there was a fallout between Luke's mom and Luke and Hermes, and Luke blamed everything on his dad, and it was ugly, and his mom was a seer, and she saw too much, and that gets Percy talking about his dream, and connecting about it with Annabeth and how he thinks there's something bigger going on. Then and just we get this a, a, a really, a really brilliant line. And I don't know if it was in the book, 
ever. But he asks Annabeth, like, if she knows anything about this or what she thinks. And she says she doesn't know. And he goes, you don't know? And she says, Percy, I don't know everything. But he says, if you don't know, what chance do I have? I think he does say something very, very similar in the books. He, we also get a wise girl here. Oh, yeah. He calls her wise girl. Is that the... That's is that his, the... Yeah, that's the seaweed brain and wise girl. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So I was excited to finally hear that. Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so they eventually find Hermes wearing a tan sweatshirt playing craps. <laughs> so dumb. We we even do the classic um meeting a character where they're halfway in t- into telling a joke. Yep. Yeah, we get a story, a little And then you just get the punchline that out of context makes absolutely no sense how it's the punchline, which has been done a thousand times in movies and TV. We have talked about the Drake and Josh one and how that's the best one. But also I've talked about the Men in Black one where it's Mm-hmm. Um, Will Smith okay. kind of coming to from a, a, a droopy um, memory wipe moment and he's getting the p- tail end of a joke that Tommy Lee Jones is saying and that one makes sense because it's like well we're coming back from a memory so it makes sense that he doesn't understand the context of the joke yeah that's the one I always think of so <laughs> I think of the Dragon Josh one which I think is very telling of us <laughs> <laughs> And I still don't remember the Drake and Josh one, even though you've told it to me on this podcast. Yeah. So other than the fact that he tells a little bit of a joke, what do you think about Lin-Manuel Miranda's portrayal of Hermes here? I... If my leading question didn't set you up to be a little disappointed. No, I think it is. I mean, it is a little disappointing. I think Hermes is a very interesting character in the books. Because he makes toys, but he wants to be a dentist. No. (laughs) And I will never forgive the Rudolph people for doing that. Because it makes my life so difficult. Because I have to overemphasize the S. And I don't like that. (laughs) So, I, I, I mean... Lynn is fine. He's quick talking. He does a pretty good job of playing the serious parts of this scene. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I mean, you keep Hermes going. has some sad sadness to him, especially regarding Luke and his mom. And we see that in the book a few times. Well, the books in the series. Not not really this one. This I don't know why this feels very preemptive. Like this happens later. Cause Percy spoiler territory there so um but there's something about Hermes in the book that is very frantic like where a lot of the gods keep themselves together and stay in the moment Hermes is answering emails phone calls shipping like his his job takes up all of his time and being that he he's not casual like Poseidon or Zeus or even Athena I think the only other god that we see that's kind of like busy is Artemis like because even Apollo when he has to drive the chariot around like he'll be focused on that but he'll also be like yeah I don't have to be here I just like driving my sports car around kind of my sport my sports car chariot around but there's something about Hermes here that just, it seems weird that he's playing craps. Like, it just, it doesn't feel right for the character. Like, honestly, I think, and I hate to say this, but that is the one thing of Sea of Monsters, the movie, actually did okay was the Hermes stuff. Because Hermes doesn't really have time for demigods. Yeah, bring back Nathan Fillion. Nathan yeah. Fillion, greater than Lin-Manuel Miranda. Asked and answered. Wow. <laughs> Hot take there. And I, 
Lynn, Lynn's personality would hypothetically fit this role. I just feel like they tone down the character in ways that I'm just like not sure about. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a good actor and um, has a, and you know, although he's famous for the, the, the talk rapping, he actually is, is like good at portraying characters and, yeah. you, and you could have him talking fast and being like, Ooh, I'm checking an email. Ooh, I'm, or he could also be like a high roller at this casino where it's like, he's walking around with an entourage and like winning at five different poker games at the same time. Like, Mm-hmm. There are things that you could do with this character that it seems like they they cast Lin Lin Manuel Miranda and then said that's enough on that we don't need to actually try people are just going to be so excited that he's here that they don't actually look any further into it and for the audience of this show hypothetically teens and kids that are in their or or third grade and up so eight and up. Hamilton came out almost 10 years ago. They don't know Hamilton. Condra, you say this, but I literally had students singing Hamilton in my homeroom today, so. Okay, I have had to dramatic, like, my end of things, I'll make a Hamilton reference and they'll be like, Condra, we don't, Hamilton's not, no thank you. And I'll be like, well, teen librarianship eight years ago was just so different. Well, Condra, it's 2024. We had Hamilton's big year is 2016, and then again in 2020. It's time for Hamilton Part Three. We're bringing it back every four years. It's election every election year. year That's it's why. Hamilton year. <laughs> what What do you got? You got the we got we got the new we got the leap year. We got the election in the United States. We got the Olympics summer, and we got Hamilton. Hamilton every four years. It's Hamilton. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do to bring it back, but they got to. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they've already done the remix. They've done the recording. They've done an album. They've done a book. They've done tours. Got to do some stunt casting on Broadway. The movie version, two part movie version. Like, oh, yeah. If you yeah, if you announced if you announced the movie version, like Ryan Coogler's Hamilton, like. That that could be something. I not that I think Ryan Coogler's the right choice, but you know, that's the choice that would get people buzzing on Twitter or whatever. I don't know who that is. Black Panther director, Creed director. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for everyone uh, for sharing in my secret because I'm not good with directors often. Okay, Lin Manuel Miranda as Hermes. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't talk fast once. Anyway. How disappointing. Yeah, and he like he's like, oh, demigods, you want to play craps? And they're like, no, we just want to talk to you. And then Annabeth's like, I'm going to pull my fast card here. It's about, like, we're friends of Luke. And Hermes walks away from the table and they go into this, like, I almost imagined it as another dimension. Like, he opens a dimension <laughs> just because it's so quiet and weird. They go and to, I'm like, like, a little restaurant and, like, yeah. a corner booth where there's, like, nobody. It's just everywhere else we have seen at this casino is so jammed pack of people that it's like, did he just like rip a hole in the dimension? I don't know. This is true. I mean, he also breaks down to them like, you want to get to the underworld. A lot of people want to go there. They're always disappointed. But there is a secret way around the back. But that ain't easy walking, Jack. It ain't for the sensitive of soul. So do you really want to go? Stop. (laughs) With all your heart. Well, that's a start. How to get to Hadestown. You have to take the long way down. Tyler. Through the underground. Tyler. Through the cover of night. Laying low, staying out of sight. Ain't no compass, brother. Ain't no map. Just Tyler. a telephone wire and a railroad track. Keep on walking and Can don't- Can you please stop? <laughs> we are already at 46 minutes and we have so much left to talk about. I'm the one that edits these. Okay. I don't think we have that much more to talk about. I do. He gets, he gets really serious with them- about Luke and his mom, like Luke and Luke's mom, and about how like it's hard when you you want to be with someone but you know you're gonna hurt them, and then he causes a little flashback memory for Percy, which I was a little confused about. Do you know yeah. exactly what they were going for with that? 
I have no idea. Percy's just sitting alone in a car looking at a door. Is well, it, it looks like, like it's he's getting dropped off at like one of the prep schools or something. Yeah, I wasn't sure if this was like, oh, is this like when they move in with Gabe? But Sally's name is on the apartment. Techni- I, I don't know. Yeah, I was confused as well. I don't know what this is in reference to. And the idea that like Percy's relationship with his mom is like one where it's like inherently painful or something, Wait, which didn't yeah, seem right. Right at all. Like Hermes was trying to manipulate a situation and it was like, hmm. So maybe it's it's just a like sort of a foreshadowing moment to a, a moment where like Percy was supposed to meet his father as a child, but but like didn't or something went wrong. In which case, maybe it could be interesting as like a setup for a future thing, but not there yet. And Annabeth refuses to be forced to memory. And she kind of storms off as Hermes kind of just says, I don't get involved anymore. Sorry, too bad. But Percy sort of sticks out the conversation and goes, "Um, I'm supposed to meet my dad. Why would my dad help me if it was all supposed to be doomed and nothing was going to work? And... Hermes says a pretty good line for the series as well. It's hard for a god to feel powerless. Which I think we've talked about already in the understanding of gods getting described with humanity. Yeah, when you are sort of overcome with an emotion, it does feel like you you are removed from your control. And love can do that to a god. Jealousy can do that to a god. Anger and wrath can do that to a god. Mm-hmm. These are the moments where the mythology and the stories become their most interesting when the gods have control taken away from them. Yeah. I think as well, Hermes showing some vulnerability here to Percy. So even though he's saying no, he's still trying to get Percy to see his side and is like, oh, this kid's different. Maybe that he can understand in a way that my son doesn't, that Annabeth doesn't, that maybe even some of my family members don't in the same way like Annabeth was talking to Hephaestus, that it's not a normal family, it's not a normal situation, and the odds are always against me, even as the god of luck. True. Um, they did. They did sort of skirt around things a little bit with him saying that he exists beyond time and space. Which, yeah, they do, but they explored that in very weird ways. I mean, I suppose if you can be in more than one place at once, it is easy to be like, well, I can just relax in this place that I am because there are other versions of me hurrying around in other places. Yeah. We've never seen that as much with Hermes, though, as we do see with some of the other gods like Apollo. Even Artemis tends to stick to one sort of place. But we see that a bit more with some of the other gods. So it's not... It's like a weird power that's connected to them, but it's not, like, unimaginable for for gods. They also haven't explained that, like, the gods are choosing to take a corporeal form that can yeah. be perceived by humans. Yeah. If you saw their real form, you would die from looking at such impossible power. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that is something Rick pulls right from the ancient myths. Yeah, I mean, it's we and we've said it before, like the idea of trying to comprehend godliness is something that should be, be beyond the scope of mortal ability. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Percy finds Annabeth again, and he reveals, man, that guy was a jerk. Makes me kind of feel good about stealing his keys. <laughs> yeah, and he, I do like that his keys have the uh, catechist on it. Yes. Caduceus. That know. was fun. Uh, and Another reference to George and Martha without George and Martha. We'll get there eventually with them. And Percy goes like, what how do you do that? And Annabeth goes, I'm multi-talented. <laughs> I love that for her. She's so proud of having an invisibility cap, and I love that for her. And so, I mean, 
it's all kind of hackneyed. They were like, oh no, we lost so much time. We got to find Grover. And then they well, find no, Grover and like, then they leave. Well, at first they're like, we're missing something. What is it? And then Annabeth sees Augustus and she's like, Grover. And Percy's like, Grover? And <laughs> then they like tackle, they run across the casino chasing Augustus and like tackle him. It's intense. He's like running yeah. on uh, tables and stuff too and like disrupting games. I think it was just kind of a waste of time. It was like, oh no, there's lotus in the air and how two, three days have gone by and we need to find Grover. It's like, well, like if the stakes are that high, then like make finding Grover feel like a little bit more rushed or something like. Yeah. But what I did like was we cut to the parking garage. Well, they find Grover and he's like, who are you? We're your best friends. Oh, cool. I'm glad. Let's go on a quest. That sounds fun. But they get to the parking garage. (laughs) This is such a fun and safe quest. Finding a a car in a garage. (laughs) I'm like, good joke, Grover. Good joke. They find the car. It's a yellow cab, which feels like it's on the nose in the good way. I don't remember. You said the cab was what the fates were driving around in. Yeah. Hermes may also have a cab, but the fates definitely do. If not, it's a ripoff of the movie Scrooge, where the ghost of Christmas past has a cab. Um, Anyway, we get maybe one of my favorite scenes in the show so far, where (laughs) intense music just for Percy driving a car around the parking garage. (laughs) Backing out of a spot, pulling back in crash and almost getting hit i love the delayed reaction horn <laughs> it's like this boy is from he's like New wait York. a second i'm mad beep yeah no i think it's and like you can do this as he makes the turn oh so gentle <laughs> and then he starts scraping the wall and then goes on the other i'm just like yes well they see one of those like corners that's in a garage where it's like i don't know if i'm gonna fit in that and then the music just like picks up like he's about to face the minotaur but it's not he's just about to turn a car yeah drive so slowly while making this turn (laughs) i'm like the actors are doing such a good job in this scene like this makes up for some of the annoying lotus hotel stuff for me it was so much fun I mean, I guess considering that they probably weren't actually driving a car around. No, exactly. Like, their acting is so good. And they're just getting to smash. Like, someone is just getting to smash up a car right now, which must also be fun for the stunt drivers. Yeah. And a very um, Galaxy Quest-esque way. They like they think they've made it out safe. And then they start scraping against the side of the wall. Very slowly and painfully. And right when they make it out of the garage, they pull into traffic and are about to get hit when the car magically takes them to the Pacific Ocean. Yep. Santa Monica Pier. So Percy can meet uh, with his dad. I think they'll see any uh, Baywatch lifeguards while they're there. Troy Bolton? Well, that was was in the movie Baywatch where Zac Efron was in it. Not Troy Bolton. Zach Efron, two different person. No, it would same. be great if if Poseidon was being played by Zach Efron. It'd be wild. We haven't seen Poseidon yet, though, and we still don't see him because Percy came too late. Poseidon is preparing yeah. for war. The deadline has already passed, which is something that I don't like. This is definitely different from the book, where like the book is like they get it just under the wire. Barely, yeah, yeah. So this one, it's like, oh, the stakes are higher because. We're late now, and Percy has to make the choice. Like, I know that it that, like the time has passed, but I'm still going to make the choice to finish this quest and do the right thing, so that I can stop my dad from doing the rash decision and stop the gods from their arguing and bring about peace, despite it all. Yeah, yeah. focus on this other issue that I'm seeing in my dreams. Yeah, because he knows there's there's something bigger at play and he doesn't want people to fall into it. And he gets four pearls from the Nyrad. Well, all that comes from the sea must return to the sea. Yeah. 
which is also a very Game of Thrones, what is dead may never die vibe. Um, This is right out of the book, except I thought in the book he only gets three, which makes the sacrifice, like there's a sacrifice that is made in the underworld. So I I don't remember the specific context of how it's played out in the book. I only remember the specific context of how it's played out in the movie, which is terrible. Bad. We don't we don't talk about that. I think making this a little bit more just straightforward, like I'm giving you the ability to save your mother and save your friends. Like, no, the hard choice being made here isn't like. It started out like, is Percy going to save his mom or save the world? Yeah. And he's almost being cut some slack here. Like your dad's saying you can do both. Yeah. In kind of a sweet way. And maybe maybe if the show was better, it would force him to make a decision. But it feels like we're so far beyond where we started at in episode one and two. Yeah. Where it's like the world has gotten so much bigger in Percy's eyes. And sometimes a good TV show will say like, hey, remember how like you've learned so much over the past eight episodes? Well, go back to where you were at at the beginning. You're going to make the same choice now that you were making back then. And with the scope of understanding everything that you know, it's still equally as difficult of a choice. And so maybe taking away that choice from him denies him some agency or just denies the themes of the of the story a little bit. Yeah. But honestly, just, it's... It, it just feels like it's an unnecessary, uh, like forced decision thing. Yeah, I did confirm in the book that he is only given three, three pearls. I was like, I'm very sure about this. Like, gut is very sure. So, um, but yes, no, I agree with you that this change is an interesting one and we'll see how it ends up. Maybe they lose one of the pearls. Or maybe they have to save someone else in the underworld, like... Percy makes a sacrifice. Like, that's part of it. Like, so. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, we do see a little bit of what happens in the next episode with the, the next time teaser. on yeah. teaser. And we see kind of a lot. We see Percy going into a waterbed store. Yeah. We see a little bit of Cerberus and the, the kids breaking into the underworld. Mm-hmm. And then we see Ares facing off with Percy's on the beach. Hmm. If this is all this next episode. Oh, yeah, boy. that seems like a lot. That's a lot. Like them doing the underworld and Ares in one episode. Because like Ares is a big like there's a lot that happens in that fight. So I will be very curious to see. I think in our original predictions, I had a really hard time figuring out where the Ares fight was going to be. And I think I put it in the last episode. Because it's a good way to like have a cliffhanger. Get, yeah, get and the then episode start started. Yes, yeah, start of the last episode and then have close it. Like, because the end of the book is not super action pack in the way like a lot of. Like, they're still rushing to time, but it's not as as gunning. Like, there's no epic climax battle where someone's dramatically dying on the battlefield the, kind of thing. The climax of the book is kind of the Ares fight. It is the Ares fight, yeah. And, and so, everything like, else for, is a bit of an afterthought. So for it to start with the Ares fight, but I'll be very curious if not... Is there going to be a godly battle? Like, are they going to elevate this war thing? Maybe we're exactly right, and the episode's going to end with them about to fight. Fight. And that's the cliffhanger, so. So, I hope so. But, you know, we'll we'll find out next week. Was there anything that you were hoping to say about this episode that we didn't get to yet? No, I think I talked enough about the book differences. Um, I don't remember the, like, Percy visiting his father stuff before anything in the book. So he doesn't, he still doesn't see his father. But like he was supposed to, but he doesn't. He, yeah, he, the timing thing is just off. Okay. Like, because he, his father has to go for the solstice. Yeah. 
He's been well, called to the solstice. So that yeah, I feel like I feel like we're we're getting to the the good meat and potatoes of it. But yeah, I, it feels like this was supposed to be one of the good episodes, and it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the Percy and Annabeth stuff, stuff is which finally has coming. Been great. Yeah. No, yeah. and Grover's been awesome lately too. So I like that Grover's getting a little more to play with here. Like Grover is getting character beyond I'm Percy's best friend and I care about nature. So lovable furry old Grover. Wow. He's not blue though. But he is scared at the mo- of the monster at the end of this book. Are, aren't we all, Tyler? We should all be scared of the monster at the end of this book. <laughs> There's actually two monsters at the end of this book, and they're well, both terrifying. <laughs> is one the chimera? No. Okay. Well, anyway, speaking of monsters, want to plug social media? Yeah. We're at Amateur Nerds on Instagram and at Wildcat Minute on Tumblr can send us an email to amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite Hermes. Is it Andre de Shields from the Hades Town soundtrack? It probably is. Or is it Nathan Fillion? Or is it. Isn't Hermes in Clash of the Titans? I don't know, but it might be the, the guy who voices Hermes in the Hades video game. He does a pretty good job. He's okay. He talks fast. Yeah. And says cuz a lot. <laughs> um, well, we'll see you in hell next time. I've been Tyler. <laughs> I've been Contra. <laughs> uh, have fun Percying, y'all. Goodbye. <laughs>